He spent 12 seasons in the National Football League, an all-pro defensive end by way of the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Beat train, Bertrand Perry. <clears throat> and uh, Mike Gross. It's Train and Gross on the No Pull Podcast Network. Welcome in Train and Gross, episode number two. Coming to you from Train Station Studios in beautiful Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah, yeah. B Train, how are you? Doing pretty good. Big shout out to my Houston Astros. And to everybody that doesn't like my Astros, you guys know what you can do. Uh, as we record this episode of the, uh, the show, yeah. uh, Bertrand will attempt to stay engaged in what we're doing as uh, he has his phone in his hand watching the Astros try That's to right. stay alive. That's right. That's right. We're going to Game 7, baby. And once you get to Game 7, anything can happen. You know that's the most exciting two words in all the sports. Game 7. i got to talk to my agent. And talk about what? To get voice guy to give me a, a – <laughs> <laughs> It was funny once. <laughs> hey, before we get rolling, don't forget you can follow us on Twitter, at Train and Gross, spell out and gross. On Twitter, love to have followers, and you can hit us up, give us suggestions. Yeah, give us a give us give us a follow, man. Love we'll to follow hear from back. you. A lot to get to this week, B Train, yeah. and uh, thanks for everybody who found us on week one. And uh, you know, we'll give a special shout out to the I always call them the suits back in the corporate office, but yeah, yeah. Uh, came Big out really out. nice, and uh, we're happy to be doing this. And like I said, back for episode two. I hate to start this podcast with kind of on a down note, but it's it's real life, and we got to do it. Injuries in the National Football League, particularly close to home for us. As we said, we're coming to you from Phoenix, Arizona. Bad news for the Arizona Cardinals as, uh, as they lost Chandler Jones. Mm. Torn biceps, and, and this is important for a couple reasons. Obviously, you know, we want to talk about what's the impact to the Cardinals, and, and you, know, you don't replace Chandler Jones. No, you don't. You hopefully can cobble together a few pieces and plug some holes, but you don't, you don't replace a man of that caliber. Um, but also, I think you can, from a personal standpoint, you can provide a little bit of perspective because you've suffered a similar injury. Not the exact same injury. Yep, two triceps. But, but you had – I was in the stadium for one of them. Yeah. And uh, I felt bad when I was yelling at you when you were going <laughs> off the field. But that's – you know, we, we've buried that hatchet uh, a while ago. But, but it was after a sack, so you were yelling for me. You weren't yelling against me. You know it was I mean? one of those like the coach. Yeah. It was in, res- in the opposite of a coach when they say, no, don't shoot it, don't shoot it. And it was a good sh- – but it was kind of the opposite. Absolutely. Like, nice play, nice play. Oh, he's going off the field. But Dang it. And we've buried that hatchet. But, yeah. you know, from a personal standpoint – uh, from a player's perspective, we saw him on the sideline mm-hmm. last weekend in the Meadowlands. You could see the frustration, the disappointment. Yeah. When does it settle in that this is not just something, it's not, it's not a tweak, it's not a pull, it could be serious? Obviously, it happened pretty quick to Chandler Jones last weekend against the Jets. For me, it settled in when I tried to extend my arm and I couldn't control it. Yeah. And I think for him, there was a, a shot that they caught of him trying to actually uh, straighten his arm out, and there was so much pain he just could not do anything. He had to sit down on the on the on the sidelines, and 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 really come to grips with the idea that yeah, this is more serious than mm-hmm. he anticipated. And uh, that's always a tough moment because you know that it's not just for this game. You know this is going to be long term. When your arm can't do what it's supposed to do, Mike, that makes it really really difficult to be able to go out and do your job, especially as a pass rusher when you use your hands as much as a Chandler Jones uses his hand and D. Lyman used their hands. Sure. And there were some comments around it. You know, I don't know how informed they were, but they're like, well, you know, it's one of those things that, you know, maybe you can, you can, you know, harness it up and play through it. No. Apparently Adrian Wilson did something at one point, you know, and to your point, that's a different position. It's a different player. Um, different skill set. Different skill set altogether. So the fact that, that, they were making those comments, probably not a lot to it. Mm. But, you know, the decision as a player, right, you know, you, you collaborate with the team and the doctors, right. but ultimately it's a player decision on how you proceed and what the what either the rehabilitation or in, in your case, in Chandler Jones's case, surgery to repair the injury. You got to get it done. And the one thing you have to think about is long term. You can't just think about this season. You have to think about the totality of his career. How long does he want to play? Does he f- see himself – still being a viable option for the next five years, if that's the case, then why linger with a torn bicep over the course of his career and really not be at full strength? You lose a few games this year. Mm -hmm. Yes, it's unfortunate. Yes, it sucks. But on the backside of it, you come back stronger than ever. You rehab it. You get it back to where you were, maybe even stronger than it was before. 
And now you get to actually look at the game from a different perspective because one thing we knew about Chandler, Chandler was a guy that played all the games that he could. He was mm-hmm. not a guy that missed games due to injuries every single year. He was a very durable player. He was a very productive player. So I don't see there being any reason – to think that he's not going to come back and be the same Chandler Jones that we've come to know and love. We talked about it when we were, were discussing the Cardinals uh, a week ago mm-hmm. uh, when they lost to Carolina and they were minus Buda Baker. Yeah. What's it like from a, a, a leadership standpoint when you remove the player? I, we know the production. Sure. But a leadership standpoint when you remove the player, the quality and the caliber of Chandler Jones from the lineup, from the huddle, from just being – you know, you watch some of the pregame stuff where he's all over the place talking to everybody, very right. active, right. very, very well-respected yes. from what I can tell in yes. that locker room. What's yes. that like when you remove that from the team environment? It's tough because a lot of those guys lean on Chandler Jones and Abuda Baker and Patrick Peterson to, to get that emotional lift, if you will, because they go as the leadership goes. Attitude is always a reflection of leadership. I say that all the time. And when you have a, a player with the caliber of a Chandler Jones – He's definitely going to be a guy that's going to be missed because, one, you miss the production, but you also miss the energy. He's a guy that brings that energy to the team, and, mm-hmm. and people can feed off of him because they know it's real and it's organic. It's not something that he's just a rah-rah guy all talk. You know that when he's on the field, he makes things happen, and he also puts other players in position to be successful. So you lose that aspect of it as well, and now it's going to be replacement by committee, and everybody always says next man up. But you don't just replace the Chandler Jones with one guy. It's going to be next group of men up for the Arizona Cardinals. And no respect to Dennis Gardick, right? I mean, you, you, you love the the response last week. Oh, and I love the dance, brother. I mean, you know, <laughs> give it to me. I love it. But And I, I love the story. Anytime you can show me a Division II guy. Yes. You know, here's a guy that played the University of Sioux Falls, for goodness sakes, uh, making it all the way to the National Football League and making a difference. But right. he's not going to replace Chandler Jones. No, he's not. So you, to your point, you've got to – Go by committee with what you got on the roster because complicating things even further, it's 2020. You know, the NFL's put limits on who you can bring in and how many you can bring in. And Steve Keim, you know, it's easy to, to, to question some things he's done in the past. Sure. But he's also been either good or lucky, depending on your perspective, when he's had to bring in a veteran replacement right. over the years. Right. Sometimes find a diamond in the rough, and his hands are kind of tied this year in that respect. Well, the one thing that I love about the roster this year in 2020 is you have a Devon Kennard who you just brought in free agency from Detroit. Mm-hmm. You have a Hassan Reddick who was a former first-round draft pick who's trying to make a name for himself. He wasn't given that fifth-year option by the team, so it's basically a prove-it year for Hassan Reddick. So you have players that have the ability to come in and kind of replace the productivity. You're not going to be Chandler Jones as far as that that physical presence. But when you start talking about production on the field, there's a chance that you can actually make some of that up. And we saw that at the beginning of the season. Chandler Jones only had one sack on the season, but yet the Cardinals had nine different players with the sack. And so there were a lot of different guys already contributing to the success of this defense, and I think there's going to be more of that uh, as this season goes on. Cardinals defense will be tested Monday night when they play the Cowboys in uh, in Texas. However, as we transition to the Cowboys and stay on the topic of injuries, sure. it's going to be a different offense altogether. If if you haven't seen it yet, it's probably good if Don't you have look a queasy at stomach. Don't look at it. Uh, but, no. you know, uh, something that, again, you and I did a radio show for two years, uh, certain things you ingrained in my mind. Hmm. The, the injury mm. on the uh, franchise tag contract. Mm. And that compounds, pardon the pun, the injury situation for Dax Prescott. But, you know, he was on a one-year deal that the Cowboys could impose upon him, essentially, and he goes down with just a, a devastating injury. Yes. And now his financial future right now is, is uncertain because of that, because – the Cowboys wouldn't give in to his deal. And if you believe the media reports, the, the, the thing that really is mind-boggling in the NFL universe, the number wasn't that big of a difference between what he's on the franchise tag and what he reportedly was asking. It was close. Yeah, it was close. And the thing that, that was the most uh, concerning about it was it was really over an extra year. Yeah. Dak wanted a four-year deal. The Jones family wanted a five-year deal. And so they wanted more long-term uh, flexibility to be able to keep the services of one Dak Prescott and, and Dak wanted the ability to go back to the table uh, in four years if, if, if everything plays out the way that you would hope it would for Dak Prescott and unfortunately uh, it, no pun intended it was a tough break for him mm-hmm. and his situation but I think there's a, a there's a way that this can actually work out in his favor 
Now, you have Andy Dalton, a Texas native, a guy that made his name. Uh, he went to Katy High School in Houston, went to TCU in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. So he's a guy very familiar with this area, and, 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 and the fan base is very familiar with him. A guy that's had success. He's been to the playoffs as the leader of the Cincinnati Bengals. So as a, a player that has had success already and now you're mm -hmm. thrust into this situation, it can go one of two ways. You can either – shine bright and, and prove to everybody that it was a mistake for Cincinnati to move on from you, or you can show exactly why Dak Prescott is worth every penny that he's asking for, yeah. depending on the play of one Andy Dalton. He can either prove him right or he can prove the organization Absolutely. wrong. So That's an interesting perspective, right? Because everybody right now, understandably, sure. is looking at it from Prescott's situation, which yes. is understandable because it's a fresh in your mind and, and the contract situation's right there. And to your point, you know, it, 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 you know, whatever that – if you look at it like a scale, like sure. one side goes up, one goes down, right. you know, Andy Dalton, if he does come out and perform and you're Dak, you're like, oh, man, like what's my future, right? You know, and, and that's my question. If you, if you were in his ear, if he listened to you mm -hmm. and said, all right, how do I play this out? What do I do? Because Cowboys could tag him again. Sure which I think that number goes from 34 to 37, 37. next year. Yes. So it's, it's, it's unreal. you know, hard to feel sorry on the one hand, but again, team control, which is the issue here, right? Right. Or if the Cowboys say, look, we're, we're concerned. Andy outperformed our expectations. Good luck to you on the open market is a, another possibility, which is that's really stunning. And remember, the relationship with Jerry Jones wasn't the greatest. No. It wasn't as if these guys were singing kumbaya when they went back to the locker room oh. after, after the games were over. This was a very contentious negotiation. There were a lot of times where Dak Prescott came out and said, hey, I'm frustrated with where we are. This should have been done a long time ago. Mm -hmm. He's battled depression. He's had a really tough year. You think very about losing difficult. his brother, his mother, and now you have to deal with this as well and, 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 and fighting his own demons internally. It, it just – your heart breaks for the young man. I'm not a Dallas Cowboy fan by any stretch of the imagination. Sure. We know that is well documented, but I don't want to see anybody injured. And when you talk about the business aspect of the game, I feel for him because this is going to affect his bottom line one way or the other. You just hope that it's not to the tune of a substantial amount to where he's missed out on millions of dollars that he could have potentially earned. No, that, that, that's, that's a great point. And I think to your point about everything he's gone through in 2020 – Obviously, the injury in and of itself was devastating and, and clearly very painful. But I think the camera close up on his face mm. on the way out on the mm. cart, mm. I think a lot of those emo everything probably come into a head for that guy. And you, 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 you have to feel sympathy right now for him that, you know, in the long run, it all works out. You know, he comes back, in which we'll wrap this up because, you know, we've talked about Chandler Jones injury and Dax Prescott's injury. Good news on the injury stand forefront is uh, Alex Smith coming back. Yeah, that was that was a remarkable scene. The the Washington football team is that what we call them? The football club, the football the, team, the, football team, Washington the team that team. Dan Snyder screwed up since he owned a team. <laughs> um, they're a train wreck. They're a mess. Yes, but it was good to see that because you talk about d devastating injuries. I forget what the exact number of surgeries that the man went through, and apparently there I think was, it was a, like sixteen. It was ridiculous. Yeah, and there was some report that potentially. At one point, the possibility losing a leg, losing a leg, yeah. was there, yeah. and to see him come back, it was Washington. They didn't look great, but he was on the field. He, we, in the quotes after the game when he took that first hit, his family was in the stands giving him a standing ovation. You got to at least feel good about that. You know, like I said, let's end the injury conversation on a little bit of a bright note. I really believe that you could have already etched on the trophy of comeback player of the year. You can already put Alex Smith on there. Just the fact that he was able to put the uniform on and go out there. And, and play a snap in the NFL after seeing that horrific injury that ended the career of one Joe Theismann, yeah. same team, uh, same week, I think, uh, a few years apart, mm -hmm. obviously. But the fact that he was able to actually come back and, and actually be a quarterback for the Washington football team, that says uh, he is a, a, a man that refuses to quit, and, and uh, he definitely deserves all the accolades given his way. Yeah, he worked his uh – Backside off and thanks so much and medical marvel. I mean, yes, trust in science, people. Big ups to Alex Smith, man. Yeah, trust in science. All right, it's not all bad news. No, on the other side, B train. We'll get into Cardinals, Cowboys, Monday Night Football. Yeah, stadium in Texas. Mm. I know you're not a Cowboys fan, but I know no. you got thoughts about playing there. No question. And we'll get into that. That's coming up next. You're listening to Train and Gross. Train and Gross. Monday Night Football. How many games did you play on Monday night? I would say about 
say about eight, eight to ten. Is it different? Is oh, it special? absolutely, it's different, and it's absolutely special because one, it's the only game in town, and you heard the Howard Cosells and the Dandy Dunn, Meredith, and 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 all those guys, and and Frank Gifford, and all those uh, infamous you know play-by-play guys who who would would give those sound bites that you would hear play on for years mm-hmm. and years and years and years. So yeah, I definitely love playing on Monday night. I always had a special feeling. When it came to Monday Night Football. For people that don't know, you're the pride of humble Texas. That's right. Right outside of the Houston, Houston metro area. How many games did you play in Texas in the NFL? Wow. Um, let's see. I want to say two, maybe. Two or three. And were they both – were they all in Dallas? Did you ever, did you ever play in Houston? I played in Houston. Um, won that game. Okay. Uh, played in Dallas. Won that game on Thanksgiving. Did a Thanksgiving game against the Cowboys. And, uh, you know – I always did well. Even in college, I never lost to a Texas team. So I, I can say in my home state, I'm undefeated. There you go. And what's it like? Again, you grew up in the Houston area, so it's That's not right. exactly the same. But one of the subplots of this game, we talked about it at the outset, Kyler Murray returning to a stadium where he had great success. Great success. But just coming back and playing at home, like I said, not you're not a, a Dallas guy. You, you clearly are not a Cowboys fan. Clearly. We'll do a whole segment on that in a future podcast. For real. But, you know, what's the mindset walking into that stadium where you've had so much success? And even, like, even growing up in Houston, you mm-hmm. knew the Cowboys, you sure. knew that stadium, you knew the star, even if it was the old stadium, you knew it was all about. Sure. I think you have a certain amount of confidence if you're Kyler Murray. One, because you've won big games. You've won state championships in that stadium. You've won Big 12 championship in that stadium, and, and you've never lost. So every time you walk into a building where you've never had failure – how could you not be confident? And how could you not think that things are going to go your way? Because right now he's playing at home, which he's very comfortable with. He's a guy that has had a lot of success in that stadium. He's he's won a lot. He's hoisted a lot of trophies in that stadium. So there's no reason to think that Kyler Murray is going to be nervous one bit, whether it's Monday night football aspect, whether it's the Cowboy aspect. He's going to go into that stadium knowing that when I step on this field, Good things usually happen for me and my team, and I think that's a huge advantage for the for the Arizona Cardinals. And one of the things I know that bothers you as a former player, former defensive player, is bad defensive football. And if you're Kyler Murray in this Cardinals offense, looking at the other side of the ball, whatever's going on with the Cowboys is this defense is not very good. No, you're licking your chops. You're, you're licking your chops absolutely because you know from a fundamental standpoint this defense can be had. They've got a lot of names on that defense, but that – group collectively is not playing very well at all. And I think you look at the running aspect, they can be run against. You think about the passing game, they can be thrown against. There is nothing that you can't dial up and 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 have and not have success against this defense. So, if you're Kyler Murray and you're Cliff Kingsbury, you can't wait to get to Dallas and play this game because you you got a a lot of different plays that you want to go out there and show the world that hey, we're a team to be reckoned with and what greater surface to do it on? than the great state of Texas and that big old star in the middle of that 50-yard line. And, look, I don't know how much you can take away from the win against the Jets last weekend. You know, the one thing that the Cardinals had been accused of is playing down to the level of competition. I don't know that you can do that against the Jets as poor as this team is this year. But, again, they they came through. They come away with a 20-point win, 10 o'clock start, all the things that have dogged them on the East Coast. So you file that in the good column. But there's still some things, even offensively, that you look at and you wonder about. Some of Kyler Murray's accuracy early in the game. Sure. Uh, running the ball. The running attack. Yes. You know, um, questions about whether or not Chase Edmonds should get more carries and, and maybe take away some of the, the workload from Kenyon Drake. And so all kinds of questions that you look at with this Cardinals team. Let's call it the play calling of Cliff Kingsbury. You know, you come in as an offensive genius, quote unquote, and it's been inconsistent at best from my perspective. It's been inconsistent. As far as the play calling has been inconsistent as far as the execution of what the plays have been called as far as the offense is concerned, everybody gets their fair share. We always talk about that pie index. Everybody gets their fair slice. And I think for this team, they're going to have to really be locked in because the Cowboys are going to play with a lot of pride. One thing that you can always say, they may not always win, but they're going to show up on Monday night. This team is all about the lights and the glitter and the glitz. And they're going to show up when that moment comes. And when all eyes are on them, they're going to want to try to put their best foot forward, one, for their owner, and, and two, for just their own sense of pride and, and, and respect because they know thus far in the season after five weeks it hasn't been a great look. Well, and for their fallen quarterback, 
do you do you send a message? I mean, again, it's a business. You're professionals. I understand that. But when you're on that 53-man roster, there's that family, the brotherhood, whatever term you want to use. Do you send a message also to your injured quarterback? I don't know if you send a message. I think that was during the game against the Giants. You you look at them and and you saw it. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott, when he scored, he threw up the four in front of the camera. Mm-hmm. That's the time to really show, hey, we're with Dak Prescott. But at some point, you've got to move on. Mm-hmm. You've got to go with the guys that are there. You've got to rally around Andy Dalton, and you've got to be able to go out there and play good football because the season's not over. You've still got 11 games to play, and you've got to play them with the guys that are actually on the field. Well, that's a good point because at one point does it become going out there and doing it for a fallen teammate and then become a distraction. Like it, it's probably a fine line, particularly at the professional level. Well, you're doing it because you're getting paid a lot of money yeah, to do exactly. it. exactly. And, that, and that's, that's, that's the key. When you are being paid to do it, then it's your job to go out and perform at a high level. Yes, you want to remember your friend and your teammate and, and the guy that was a leader on your team, but he's no longer there, and you've got to fi- figure out life without Dak Prescott. You spent a lot of time, obviously, NFL locker rooms, preparing, game planning. Sure. Cardinals were going down a path getting ready for the Dallas Cowboys because you start to implement things well before you play a team. Sure. How much changes now with the changing quarterback? You've got Andy Dalton, a guy that you have a sense of who he is. Obviously, it's in a different system, a different team. How much changes for the Cardinals defensively as they get ready to play this game Monday? I'm going to shock you with this one, Mike. If you're a defensive back, it doesn't change one bit because you still got the same problems. You still got C.D. Lamb. You still got Amari Cooper, and you still got Gallup. And to me, Gallup is the most dangerous of all three of these guys. So if you're Patrick Peterson, if you're Drake Kirkpatrick, I mean, if you're Byron Murphy Jr., you still have the same issues regardless of who's at the quarterback position because those guys are going to be a nightmare one-on-one trying to match up. And they're going to be all over the field. They're going to be running deep. These guys are fast. They're physical at the line of scrimmage. So this is going to be a true test for this secondary can they hold up against a, a really solid group of receivers in the Dallas Cowboys? Do you expect a shootout, even even with the quarterback change for Dallas? Is there any sense that maybe they come out a little bit conservative just till they feel their, their way out of it? And they've been a this year, anyways. You know, you look at some of the things they've done. Ask Atlanta, mm. right? You know, you you've seen mm. a Cowboys team where they've gotten behind mm-hmm. and shown the ability to come all the way back, or in one case where they beat Atlanta, or in another case. I forget who it was now, but they came nearly all the way back, I think, against the Bears, but don't don't hold me to that. Seattle. Seattle, thank you, sir. So I look at this team, and, and the one thing you can say about this team, regardless of who's that quarterback, and this is no diss to Dak Prescott, but when you have so many great or good offensive weapons, you can put up points on just about anybody, and they've shown that. They, they haven't had problems scoring the football. Their problems have been stopping other teams from scoring the football. So – from an offensive standpoint, I don't think they change anything that they do whatsoever. I think Andy Dalton is more than capable. He's a guy that can throw the football. We saw him throw some dimes at the end of that game against the New York Giants last week that put them in position to win that game. Now, granted, you beat a team that was over and, and you won by three points. So right. let's, let's pump the brakes on being a, a team that has arrived and, and, and they're all of a sudden a threat now in the NFC. But the fact of the matter is they have weapons on offense and, and say whatever you want to say collectively as a team, mm-hmm. but that side of the ball, the offense, has not been the problem thus far in Absolutely. 2020 for the Dallas Cowboys. Cowboys, Cardinals, Monday night football, uh, I, you know, as Doesn't a fan. get any better than Right, me. as a fan, you know, for especially as an Arizona Cardinals fan where you're not used to being featured very often, whether you're talking about – even Thursday night, which I'm not a particular fan of. Used to be a division rival, too, by the way. That's exactly right. You know, and I think if the uh, Bidwell family had their way, still would be a division <laughs> rival. But it's, it, you know, very rarely do the Cardinals get featured on Sunday night, Monday night. Um, so to, to have this, I think it's, it's, like, it's exciting. You know, it's 2020. We need a lot to look forward to. So we'll, uh, we'll look forward to, to that game on Monday. Yeah, and you have a number one overall pick that's actually starting to live up to the hype. I think that's going to get you more of those showcase games. And, and when – those guys show that they actually are the goods. You want to get that best product out there because the one thing that the NFL is about, it is about being a good TV show. And mm-hmm. a good TV show has good players and has good entertainment. So Kyler Murray is worth the money. If you just tune in to watch him go out there and run around and do what he does, I think most fans are going to walk away really, really happy with what they've seen. They've been entertained for the last three and a half hours. You know, kind of the, the antithesis of what we saw you know, with, with – uh, with the, with the uh, God, I, I can't. 
I forgot his name now. Are you not entertained when when you talk about uh, Gladiator? Gladiator. Thank you. There we go. I can't believe I forgot that. Are you not entertained? Where we're going with that? Russell Crowe. Thank you. There we go. Uh, No, that that's a great point. And when you have the marquee players making marquee plays, Mm. right? I mean that that's it. And I I don't know how I stumbled across, but the the Packers Cardinals game Mm. in the playoffs. Mm. Which one? The Carson Palmer throw to Larry Fitzgerald across the field and then. End it with the shuttle pass. Yes, you know that's that's what you talk about. Marquee yes. players making marquee plays in front of well, you Great won't theater. have this, but have in front of a packed house. You won't have that, but you'll have the national stage for that one. So you kind of hurt my feelings. I mean, I was kind of going to mine. You know, right? I mean, he had, he did play a pretty good playoff game. Aaron Rodgers no, and Kurt I, I'm sorry. No, it was not. It was not that. I was just talking <laughs> about the yes. It would I never. Mean, it was I, a pretty I, exciting game, man. In overtime. No, I, I'm that game too. Uh, but I, I'm just telling you the the clip that I I stumbled across this week is all whatever it was. Uh, now see, I end the segment on a down note. My feelings are hurt. I Let mean, me step I aside. Mean, Kurt Warner had more more touchdowns <laughs> and incompletions in that game. You know, I mean, it was a pretty good game. And we've talked a lot about that game. <laughs> I was just I was making a point about a, a video. Ah, there I go again. Well, we'll we'll take a break here. Yeah, I'll apologize to my partner during the break. That's we'll come right. back. I still love you. Maybe we'll talk about the NBA Finals coming up next on Training Gross. B-Train, Mike Gross. Train and Gross. All right, so we've buried the hatchet. Well, good. (laughs) Yeah, we kissed and made up. He set me straight. He set me straight. That was the second best playoff game between the Cardinals and the Packers. (laughs) <laughs> that decade. You can argue back and forth, but either way, it's a win for the Cardinals, so you can't lose. Absolutely. All right, uh, something you can't argue with is the Lakers, NBA yeah. champions. And we yeah. we started down this path last weekend, or yes. last week, whenever we, yeah, we recorded yeah. this uh, this fine broadcast. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, they, they closed them out. They they, they went to uh, the sixth, and it wasn't the deciding game. It ended up closing it out. Right. They got the theater on TV. Um, look, I- I'll start – where I went, I think last time we talked about this is credit to everybody involved that we had a championship and, uh, you know, especially the NBA. And I know it's easy to pile on professional sports leagues and commissioners, um, but, you know, they, they took an impossible task. And really, when you look at it from a business standpoint, they delivered a product to their sponsors. I mean, that's the bottom line, right? Yes, they did. ABC got their games. Yes, the, they did. The broadcasters. TNT the, got their games. You know, and you look at the sponsors that they took care of and all that. So that was really kind of from a – a league standpoint, kind of a, a mission critical outcome, and yes. and then credit to everybody that got bubbled. Yep. They, they respected the bubble, and 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 the NBA did a remarkable job. Um, and then to the Lakers, crown the Lakers, LeBron with his third championship, uh, well fourth, but third different team yes. with the championship. Yes. Um, and then you know you lay over the Kobe, uh, uh, the emotions <laughs> of that. Yeah. That just you know to me, again, 2020 has been so bad for so many reasons. Um, this might be the, the the best, for me, NBA championship from an enjoyment standpoint in a while. I'll be completely honest with you. And the one thing I'll say for the Lakers, and, and I'm not a LeBron hater. I'm really not. I just didn't like the fact that they beat my Rockets. But that's the story for another day. Mm-hmm. The thing that, that makes it so special is that they had probably the most improbable road to get to a championship that I've ever seen in sports history. The mm-hmm. fact that you were – in a bubble, and the last time that you were crowned a champion, it it th- this season took over a year long, Mike. Mm-hmm. This season took forever. Yeah, you had a break for the the COVID nineteen. Then you had to restart. You had to restart in Orlando, and a lot of guys were like, the one thing they couldn't wait to do once they got out of bubble was go get a real good meal, because yes, the players did what they needed to do. They they. They handled their responsibilities, and I think that could be a lesson for a lot of other sports leagues that a bubble maybe isn't the worst idea that you could come up with in order to to uh, counter this, this COVID-19 situation. Mm-hmm. And, and with all of the situation and rescheduling that's going on now with the NFL, a bubble sounds much more like a viable option than, than what they're presently doing. But I'll say this. you got to put an asterisk to it, but it's a good asterisk. It's an asterisk that says this team – was the most mentally tough team that I've ever seen win a championship in NBA history because of all the elements that you just laid out as far as what they had to go through in order to get this done. You think about that. I'm looking at the schedule right now. The Lakers lost to the Brooklyn Nets on March 10th, Mm. and they did not play again until July 30th. Mm. Now, 
part of you can say, all right, you had a nice break in there, and that's one of the things we talk about when you talk about a player of the statue of LeBron that you play so many games, you need it. But, but that, it wasn't a nice break. That's you not can't a say ni- nice. No, it, that's going to be my point. That this one was marred with uncertainty. Yes. Because when you broke in March, I think a lot of people thought, "Oh, this isn't. We'll, we'll end this real quick. It'll be right back to it." Yeah. It went on. It went on. And it went on. on. Yes. And then finally, I think you know the owners, and you know, again, I learned from you. We're not going to give the owners the benefit of the doubt here. Mm-hmm. They were looking at the bottom line, but no the owners question. came together and said to the commissioner, "Figure this out. We need to have games." And so you go from mid-March to 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 that date in July that I said end of July, mm-hmm. and then you figure out how to do it. So it was marred with uncertainty. The yes. team wasn't together because everybody was separate. You weren't working out. You weren't, I mean, as a team. Right. And so to your point about the, the mental aspect and, yes. and why this deserves an asterisk, but an asterisk for a very positive reason, yes. um, I, I think is well taken. And then, again, you know, you look at the Lakers when they got to the bubble. Mm. They only won two games leading up to the postseason, but their record prior to was so good that they weren't going to – They were an easy streak. They could have lost everything. That's right. But, again, you look at it and say, well, how's this team reacting to the new reality? Mm-hmm. You know, we look at our own Phoenix Suns who performed really, really well in the bubble, right? I mean, undefeated. and 8-0. No. They should have uh, – you know, if they could have found a one win somewhere prior to getting locked out, yeah. you know, they would have they would have been in the postseason as well. But the Lakers flipped that. And I think some people were questioning the Lakers coming out of that. Like, oh, you only won two games. Like, what's this team going to be? But they figured it out, and um, they're the champions, like you said, but the asterisk for a good reason. It is an asterisk for a good reason. And I think for LeBron, this was probably, in an odd way, the best-case scenario because if anybody was going to be affected by travel and hotel stays and having to go cross-country, it's going to be a 17-year veteran that's 35 years old and asked to carry a team. And that's going to weigh heaviest on that guy. But the fact that you were in the same place – Day after day after day, you didn't have to go up in the altitude for the flights. You mm-hmm. didn't have to go to uncomfortable hotel rooms, and you didn't have to be up early for uh, shoot-arounds after a long flight. None of those things came into play. You just had to go out there, show up, and do your job. And I think for a veteran laden team like the Los Angeles Lakers, this played right into their hands. I give Miami a lot of credit. Nobody saw this team no. getting to the finals. Nobody saw this. They weren't even in the playoffs when they got to the bubble, Mike. So for them to get to that point and to take the Lakers to even game six, I think you give them a ton of credit because clearly they were outmatched. When you have two of the top five players in all the world on one team, they are going to be very difficult to beat. And even with Jimmy Butler giving you that all-time effort in game five, you just saw in game six it just wasn't going to last because they had just run out of gas. And you, and you talk about the, the heat and, you know, what, what, what this – meant to them Hmm. you know you talk about just the the challenges of 2020 and I think you saw that come to a head with coach Bolster afterwards the emotions of everything um just came pouring out of the man and and you know it's that's why we love sports because I mean intuitively you know it like you do it you care but you know a lot of times you see the stoic and you see what you see on tv he just let it all out there in that post-game press conference. I love the subplots of this series because there's so many interlaced relationships. You think about Spolster and LeBron. You think about Pat Riley and LeBron. You think about Pat Riley and the Lakers. There's so many relationships that were already formed throughout the course of of this final and the fact that they were in a highly contested final series where, you know, it, it took Herculean efforts just to get two mm-hmm. wins from the Miami Heat. You know Pat Riley somewhere right now pissed off. Like, he's somewhere right now thinking, how am I going to combat what they threw at us? Because the last thing that he wanted to do was see LeBron James, who left him basically to go back to Cleveland, hold up that Larry O'Brien again, yeah. and he be the on the business end of, of that loss. And again, business – End of the loss, yes. but also business of the NBA. I've said it before, and I, you know, reinforce it. You know, the as bad as 2020 has been, and you see the ratings, and, and I, you know, you're not privy to the books of the, the NBA, but you know the numbers are not good financially. Mm. That was the best outcome to have yes. that matchup, right? The Los Angeles Lakers, whether you love them or hate them, you're going to watch it, right? Yes. Because you, you very rarely does somebody say, "Well, I don't care about the Lakers." Right. Like you love them, or you hate them. Right. But right. You're going to watch. Your, to your point, like yes. you're a Houston man through and through, so you hate the Lakers. I grew up in Detroit, you know, and, and I don't hate them. I just hate that they beat my team. Well, to get there. yeah, I get you, and yeah. and you know, and then the there there's a certain, you know, the the Heat are not anywhere on the pl- same plane as the Lakers per se, but yeah. you know, if you're going to have a matchup from a sexy standpoint, 
that's about as best as you can hope for. Um, but the the NBA needed the Lakers to win this, I think. No question. And, and this, I'm not. This is not conspiracy. Yeah. There was no fix. Sure. I'm just talking from a from put your best foot forward from a. It's a TV show. It's just a, like we talked about with absolutely. Football. You got to have your best foot forward. And I would say if this wasn't the bubble, this would have been the all-climate final Absolutely. of all time. Yeah. You either got Miami Beach or you got La La Land. I, I'm not a TV producer, but I could have produced that one. The pregame, <laughs> like the ins, the outs, the you know. All right. right. Hey, give me a camera crew. We're going down to South Beach for a couple hours. I'll see you later, right? Or put me in a helicopter over the 405. No, absolutely. And I no think doubt. this is a good place, and I didn't tell you we're going to do this, but to transition, uh, you know, I know you've got one eye on your Houston Astros right now mm. where I think baseball's hurting this year. Yes. Because I think, again, they would never come out and say this publicly, but if you're in the commissioner's office, you wanted the Yankees and the Dodgers. Mm. You want the Yankees and the Dodgers because, again, all the TV rating, ranking, excuse me, metrics, the numbers, the ratings are hurting. Sure. And the best way to bolster those numbers – are to get your marquee franchises out there. And I've said that before to you and to other people. Like, you need your franchises that are those the Yankees and the Dodgers to yep. be good. And unlike what you said about the, the you're an, uh, a Rockets fan, but you don't hate the Lakers, you just hate the – I'm a Tigers fan. Mm. I can tell you right now, I hate the Yankees. <laughs> I hate the Yankees. But I would have tuned in. Yeah, absolutely. I would have tuned in to watch it. And I think baseball is missing that. Nothing against Houston. No doubt. Or Atlanta. No doubt. Tampa. No doubt. You, you hate them. No no question. And I think, too, when you start looking at this sports climate that we're in right now, isn't it painfully clear just how big and bad the NFL is over the other ones? The other ratings are suffering because they're having to go up against football in yep. their regular season. When they're playing games on the finals on Sunday and you're going up against Sunday night football and marquee matchups – it's very difficult to get those old-school football fans to turn over and watch the NBA in October. That, that's, that's dang near impossible, Mike. And it just shows that they have owned the fall for so long that anybody, and I mean anybody that tries to come up against the NFL during their, their hey, during their prime time of the season, you're, you're going to fall and you're going to lose badly. It's politics season. We're not talking politics, but it's the same thought process with sports. You want the casual sports fan. Yes. Right? Yes. Undecided voter. Right. Casual sports fan. No question. And, and you will lose that to the NFL every time. I'm looking at this. Uh, I'm fascinated by it. And, and I follow him on Twitter, the, the, the network's PR mm-hmm. handles. Every week, you know, Fox is sending something out that, hey, last week's game, we're up 1%. A lot of it's matchup driven. Like if you've got a bad matchup, obviously people aren't going to watch. But if you've got an average to above average, people are flocking to the NFL. It's just it's the big dog on the block right now, and it's been that way for some time, and it continues to show itself more when you have these type of situations. And of course, we hadn't seen anything like this with the pandemic. But to have all of these different sports go up against football, and to see how they all come up short when you are on those prime days, and then when the NFL is, is getting greedy and, and taking over Tuesdays to try to reschedule to fit these games in, it, it just shows you that these guys are bullies and they, ain't plan, they don't plan on going anywhere anytime soon. And that's about it. When we come back on the other side, B-Train, you ready to pump the brakes? Let's do it, brother. All right, that's coming up next on Train and Gross. Train and Gross. Time flies when you're doing a podcast. And when you're having fun, brother. Doing the podcast. All right, we started it last week. Yeah. And we had so much fun. Got to do it again. We might make it a regular segment. Let's do it. Pump the brakes. Our good friend Sean Crespin steps in. Yeah. Gentlemen, what's going on? Good to see you again this week. All right. We're chilling, brother. My Astros are kicking tail, man. I'm happy right now. You you, Trust me, you keep telling us. We we know. Yeah, we we are. We we know. That's right. You keep telling us. Just in case you didn't know. So this is how it's going to work. Just like last week, I'm going to throw out some – some headlines, things people are talking about in the world of sports, some hot takes, if you will. You tell me if you're buying it or if you're pumping the brakes on it or you're, or you're agreeing with it, and we'll uh, we'll go from there, all right? Sound good? Let's do it. Got to give me a reason why, too, Gross, or none of this, just pump the brakes and then, you know, no context to it. You got to give me some context on it, too, all right? Like, I don't give you context. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm just saying. All right. All right. Here's, 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 here's your first one today. I'm going first for that. And I think we, we talked about this a little bit last week. So, Grocer, you can start with it. But, right. again, this man only had 13 snaps on the defensive side of the ball last week for the Arizona Cardinals. So, pump the brakes or not, the Arizona Cardinals need to find a way to get Isaiah Simmons, who they drafted eighth overall, 
on the football field on Sundays somehow? Is that a need that they need to find out how to get him on the field, pump the brakes or not? No, I'm not pumping the brakes yet. Not yet. Look, we might if we're still having this conversation in the future. Um, and look, I've never gone through it. So you sure are pump, So then you are pumping the brakes. We don't need that. I'm not worried about it. What is that? So then you need to pump the brakes. Because I said the, the statement is you need to find a way to get him on the field. No. 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 All right. So I'm, I'm pumping the brakes on that statement. And why? Right, right into the guardrail. Right. Look, you know, here's a guy who's there is no question about his athleticism, what he did at the collegiate level. But I've heard many people that I respect and some people that just like to bump their gums. Mm. But they all say the same thing. He's an uber talented kid, but he didn't get any offseason. He didn't get any preseason. And when you talk about jumping, even if it's from the ACC to the NFL, it's a huge leap. It's a huge leap. And you will not make it in the NFL purely by being physical. So, like I said, I'm not worried about it right now. If we're still having this conversation next year at this time, maybe I start to get concerned. Yeah, you add on to the fact that he didn't have preseason, he didn't have offseason. He was a guy that was coming in. They didn't even know where he was going to play. They didn't know what position he was going to be in. So the fact that he didn't have a position and he didn't have an offseason to figure that out, then you throw on the fact that you got Devondre Campbell balling, you got Jordan Hicks balling. Where are you going to where are you going to put him in? Because I'm not taking either of those guys off the field for an unproven rookie. And pump the brakes without question, because right now there's just not a need. And when did it become mandatory that a first round rookie had to play? We do this all the time with quarterbacks. Nobody bats an eye down in Miami while Tua Tagovailoa is sitting on the bench, and 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 nobody's saying why isn't he playing. But this is a guy that, that yeah, he was a number eight pick. We get that. But there's going to be time for him to develop. This is just the first year. We plan on seeing him on the field for at least a decade. How hard is the jump mentally from, again, ACC football to the NFL? Uh, it's, pretty, it's, it's a pretty big jump. But you also consider the fact that, again, he didn't have a specific position that he was put in. Some guys, if you know they're going to be a defensive end, yeah, they can come in and they can go get after the quarterback. You weren't sure with Isaiah Simmons what position he was going to play. Was he going to be an inside linebacker? Was he going to be safety? Was he going to be on the line of scrimmage, outside linebacker? Where is he going to play and, and where does his skill set mandate that he needs to be on the field? So I don't think there's any reason to just push him out there just because he had that number one pick on his back. All right, so Nick Saban. All week long, we've been talking about, is he going to be able to be on the sideline? Is he not going to be on the sideline? Now, we're recording this on Friday evening, so as of right now, he still has to pass one more test before he can be on the sideline for Alabama this weekend. But the Vegas odds, when it was a first when it was first reported, he was not going to be on the sideline. That game moved by three points. Mm-hmm. So pump the brakes or not, a coach simply being on the sideline is worth three points to a football team or not. Nick Saban, doesn't matter who it is, a head coach can be worth up to three points to a football team by simply being on the sideline. I'll say this. Most coaches don't, but when Nick Saban is the guy, he is involved in everything. Pump the brakes. Because he's such a micromanager, and he's such a a guy that is so detail-oriented. This guy even wants to know how they're going to do the coin toss. When you are that involved, like when you are that much of a micromanager and throw in the fact that you're giving the keys to Steve Sarkeesian. Last time we saw Steve Sarkeesian in a role of, of, of power didn't end so well. So I'm just looking at this and I'm saying, yeah, I think for, for college football, Nick Saban, who is the face of college football, yeah. him not being on the sideline is worth three points. I was about ready to not agree, but he changed my mind on this one because a lot of times you hear or see – Maybe not a lot, but sometimes we've seen where coaches can be up in the booth, you know, because I'd imagine, like, if he's getting close to being healthy and not contagious but not quite sure, put him upstairs and let him talk to the sidelines. Sure, sure. Or even stay home and put him on a phone and sure. patch him into the <laughs> sideline. Sure, I don't know. Sure. <laughs> but to your point about a micromanager and how he's involved in everything, and one of the things we know and I've learned from you is everything is routine, and if, if you deviate from that in any way, then you – then you lose three points, like to, to, <laughs> you to your point right points. there. And it, with the Sark comment, maybe three's not enough. <laughs> so <laughs> no question. I, I'm, I'm afraid I'm, I'm agreeing with B-Train. So that means I'm pumping the brakes? Mm-hmm. I guess I I'm so, pumping the I, brakes I, on I said that. said there's no way a coach is worth three points on the sideline, but maybe. You maybe. You're selling me on it. Uh, we found out who the next head coach of the Los Angeles Clippers is going to be this week, gentlemen. It is Ty Lue. So pump the brakes or not. 
Ty Lu is an upgrade over Doc Rivers. Grocer. Ooh. Ooh, man. Ah, yeah, you got to pump the brakes on that. Yeah, that's what I thought. <laughs> I'm going to hit it twice, actually. On this one. <laughs> you just came out hot on that one. It yeah. Was like, yeah. Look, uh, you know, uh, we've well documented our thoughts on uh, your thoughts on Doc Rivers. I you love know, the man. You know, love the man. You can't argue with the regular season results. And look, Clippers need something. And I, I don't know if this is, t- you know, nothing against him. You know, what he did in Cleveland, what LeBron did in Cleveland. Like, I saw Chauncey Billups is going to be on his staff. Does that help, Mr. Big Shot? I mean, I guess credibility. But this this Clippers team needs something. You know, and, and Doc Rivers wasn't it. I don't know that the, the, the Tyron Lue is it. I mean, yeah, pump him, pump him again. I'm – I, I think you need a so, B train. When you were critical, of Doc. Yes, I was. So, but I still love. Him. Is Ty? All, well, we all do. But is right. Ty Lue an upgrade over Doc Rivers for the Los Angeles Clippers? Yes, in this respect. Okay. Only in this respect. So we're not pumping the brakes here. Okay. Well, yeah, we have to because we got to talk about it. Pump but no, but you, you can talk about it. But do you, so, you, so here's the thing. If we're just looking at resumes. Mm-hmm. Ty Lue has one championship, so does Doc Rivers. Can we talk about that? You can't just say that and glance over the fact of how he won a championship and who was on his roster in Cleveland. So now I'm going to talk about how Doc Rivers only has one mm-hmm. because Doc Rivers, as we've talked about in the past, is a guy that has had a lot of talent. He's had Phil Jackson-type talent over the course of his career, and for him in L.A. to not even have got to a conference final with two different sets of, of, of teams. You had Lob City, and then now you had this latest version with Kawhi and Paul George, and, and you can't get to a conference final when you have a 3-1 lead with a guy that's an NBA champion and another one that's an all-NBA player. Like, to me, and you throw in the fact that Doc Rivers has blown a 3-1 lead three times in his career. So as much as I love Doc Rivers, when you start talking about bottom-line business, he hasn't gotten it done enough for me to say that he is just the ultimate and the Clippers will never find another coach that's as good as Doc Rivers. Now, you can say what you want about Ty Lue and what he had to work with in, in Cleveland. Yes, he had LeBron James, but come on now. We're talking about guys that, that were contributing like Della Vadova. That's <laughs> yeah, true. We had guys like, you know, uh, uh, Kevin Love. Kevin Love. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, J.R. Smith. I mean, we, we saw J.R. Smith. Without the shirt with the Lakers, congrats to him again. But <laughs> we, we remember what went down when he was with Cleveland and the fact that he took the ball out and, and, and he had no awareness of what was going on. So let's not act like Ty Lue didn't do a great job of getting that team to that win. That beat uh, a Golden State Warriors team that had the all-time record for wins in a season. You turned it into a, a Doc Rivers question. When I you, did. When See you, what I did you, there? You, you, yeah. It's like throwing, yeah, you flipped it. You just throwing <laughs> chum in the water to <laughs> the sharks, man. As 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 so now we get to some of the random stuff yeah. here, right? Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. Never going to happen. Two 50-year-olds about to fight. Is that is – that, Grocer, here's the statement. That, to me, is must-watch TV. Pump no. the brakes or not? Pump the brakes. You're not tuning in for Mike no. Tyson and Roy Jones Jr.? You're going to get a doctor to sign off on that. I'm, I mean, anything in. for a paycheck, I'm I suppose. Tu- I'm but. tuning in. I mean, did you just see Roy Jones take that three-piece with no fries just recently, too, by the way? Uh, he was flat <laughs> on his back, so I don't think that that one's going to go down. And the last thing that you want to see is old guys of your youth going out there and, and making themselves not look so Roy great. Jones was a bad man. I, I mean, was. I, I don't know. Was, was a bad man. Yeah, I so know, was Mike. So was Mike, but Roy, Roy Jones doesn't get the, the fanfare that Mike does for, for his career, but he was a bad man. Last I mean, time we got excited about Mike was the Hangover movie. Oh, when, come on. Right. Well, when Roy was fighting, a lot of the attention was on the heavyweight division with Tyson yeah. and Holyfield and everybody else, but he you know he wasn't in that division, but he was he was a bad man. I'm I mean, can we, can we just talk about how Mike Tyson's soul is still in, in, in Japan? From that, uh-huh. from that knockout. I mean, he never, he never really did. never got up off that campus. Pump the brakes again. Right, you want to hit it one more time? Hit it one more time. <laughs> I'm, okay, I'm gonna tune in. I'll let you guys know what happens. Yeah, you can text if, us. If, if it actually, I don't think happen. it's gonna happen. So, text. Grocer sent me this. One. We'll wrap it up with this. Grocer sent me this. One. Yeah. Uh, there's a Finnish airline that is planning on putting the food they serve on their airlines in grocery stores. So, pump the brakes or not. You have eaten airline food before that you would go to the grocery store to pick up, purchase, and, 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 and have just in a regular on Tuesday. 
Allow me to go first. Mm-hmm. Pump the brakes. Well, there is nothing that I've ever eaten on an airplane that I would go to the store ever. to buy. My, my father-in-law, Ever. may he rest in peace, he worked for American Airlines. Right. He was nice enough on a couple occasions, got me bumped up to first class. I ate the food in first class. Mm-hmm. It was fine for airplane food. Yes. I wouldn't go across the street to eat what I ate in first class. So I'm not going to the grocery store to buy Finnish Airs, whatever they're selling. And I don't even know what Finnish Air would serve either. on an airplane. <laughs> I mean, listen, I'm not even going across the street to get the champagne or the alcohol right. that they serve on the airlines because that stuff you could get at the gas station as we leave out of here right there off of 16th Street. I'm just telling you, right there at the Shell Station. Gas station corner. sushi. <laughs> I mean, yes. yeah. look, I, I understand that it's a big-time business. They're not in it for the cuisine. And they're not in it to, to, to fill your stomach up. They're, they're just trying to get you something to, to get you through a long three-hour flight. But make no mistake about it. There is no way that I'm putting down real money to go buy that stuff that they served. I will give them credit for this, though. I mean, their underlying reason for doing it, airline travels down. They're not flying as much, and they want to keep their okay. people in the kitchen. See. Apparently, they work right for the airline. They want to keep them employed and I working. I like that. So it's a novel idea. Maybe I like that. not have to lay people yeah. off. And See, I didn't read the whole story. I will give did. them credit for that, I but just... that's where it stops. Okay, so let me ask you this, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take this a step further. Would you even go and buy the food that you get at, at games? No. Would oh, you God, pay no. for that? In a grocery store. No. So if you're not going to do that, and no. they're on the ground, this yeah. isn't even this isn't even in the air. No. Like if you're not going to buy food that you can get at the arena, at a grocery store, why would you buy food from an airplane? Like even when you even store? when you go to a big name place, but it's at the game. Yeah. Usually it's not even. It's it's it's, it's you know. Half, so I'm just saying, get some well. stale chips and <laughs> some nacho cheese. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hey, I'll go, yeah, go over to buy a $6 beer from somebody. Mm-hmm. Is that a six-pack? No, it's a $6 beer. No. <laughs> no. That's going That's going to put a wrap on this week's episode of Train and Gross. Don't yeah, forget, yeah. follow us on Twitter, at Train and Gross, spell out and. That's and right. uh, we'll be back next week for another edition. But it was fun. Sean Crespin, always good to see you. Yes, sir. B-Train, have a good week. Right we'll see you next time on Train and Gross. Go Strokes.